Hello, my name is Chris Sizemore, and you are here listening to the Stronger Than podcast. Today, I have Brigitte Mojon on the podcast with us, and I'm very excited um, not only to share her story of being stronger than, but also because she's my mom and like I'm the fruit of her loins. Tell me who you are. What what do you do all the time? Tell our audience why you exist in the world. <laughs> I'm Brigitte Mojon. I'm the mother of this great person. And I would like to say I had something to do with her. I birthed her, but <laughs> I don't know how much more I had to do. A lot. With um, but I would like to call her my best masterpiece. I am a sculptor and a writer. And um, and one of the things that blows my skirt up is I like to help other people in whatever. I especially like to help other people be inspired and overcome. Could you tell us? where all of this started. We're talking about being stronger than losing yourself, but give us a little bit of the backstory. In general, our family has been one that has always tried to find out who we were, I, you know, explore our emotions, have a safe place to do that. Even if you have that and you, and I have, I grew up with that too, coming from a dysfunctional family, probably got mine in Alateen, but um, life happens. It just happens and you all become a mother and you become a business person and you become a wife and you, um, and if, if any of that is dysfunctional, whether it's your business, your life, raising kids, whatever it causes havoc within you. And, um, and, and as it did with me and I ended up in a divorce. So prior to the divorce, one knows what's happening. And I think you, um, especially me at the age in my forties was trying to figure out who I am without anybody else. Just so to give a little backstory to you, this is my mom. She's talking about divorce. This was not divorcing my father. That happened when I was seven. This was my stepdad. I learned from my mom how to make, how to be a really good divorced person. <laughs> and one thing we do have is Christina's dad and I have a really strong relationship and we have a, um, we do things together all the time and, and have from, pretty much day one. Um, and I always say that um, my mom taught me how to do that, but she wasn't too good at teaching me how to communicate and be a good, you know, have a good marriage. But each one, I mean, your dad and I were together 15 years and M2 and I were together for 19 years. So yeah, it, they were long relationships. It wasn't short lived things, but um, and I call them M2. My interns call them M1 and M2 because they were both named Mike. <laughs> so it helps to dif differentiate who are we mm -hmm. talking about, M1 or M2? So you're in a, a position of their divorce and major life change. And then I think like, just from an outward perspective, I saw you're like, okay, now I need to start healing from a not great relationship. And so- I, and that's something that I said in the very first podcast of this is that when you're struck with some kind of trauma in your life, you have two choices. You can either succumb to that trauma and just sit in it, or you can start working on stuff. And that's hard too. That's not easy either. Both options are really terrible, <laughs> but at the end of the day, one of them is going to make you better at the end and one of them will not. And so um, I think like from the outside, that's what I saw you start doing after the divorce was final, but please continue. 
when I knew that I was going to get a divorce, I looked at women who were single, like they were like, like a national geographic would look at wild animals on the Serengeti. Cause like, like <laughs> she's walking into her house alone. She's opening the door alone. She's going to go into the dark house all by herself. And <laughs> these things would play in my head. I was going, how do these women do it? You know, she's paying all the bills all by herself. She, Cause you assume you're going to get old with this person in and you'll enter old age with a person in a rocking chair next to you and doing cool stuff. And then all of a sudden that's gone. So you need to figure out and redefine who you are and how you're going to do this, live and, and have a career. And as an artist, that's also, <laughs> you had that extra element to it. How could I do that um, by myself? And then try to find, and you know, you don't know that you lost part of yourself. A lot of times you don't know it until you I think go, other people see it around you. I knew. Oh, did you? I a hundred percent knew. Oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, maybe other people do see it. I don't but know. It's, it's one of those things where you like, you don't see it in yourself until you do. And then you're like, oh, you could oh. be also finding things that not that you lost them, but that you didn't know that they blew your skirt up. That you didn't know that these things were were so important to you. So you were able to pull those into your life. And when you don't have anybody that you have to check with to say, is it okay that I pull this thing into my life? Because <laughs> when you're married, like everything revolves around everybody else, you know? Yeah. I think one of the things that when we were talking about doing this podcast, you mentioned, uh, we forget in our inner circle relationships, being a parent, being a wife or a husband or spouse or partner that all the things we do don't have to involve everyone else in our core group, which I think is really interesting. Can you talk a little bit more about that? And I gave away a lot of things like for the longest, I've always loved dancing. I've always loved to dance. And then I wouldn't dance because I didn't have a spouse that, that wanted to dance mm -hmm. or that felt like it, it was a priority. And you, you say to yourself, well, I can't go learn how to dance because I don't have a dancing partner. And that's just, I learned after, after going to dance that you don't need to have a dancing partner and that, and that if you dance with somebody else, it's not like you're cheating on your husband. You're going to dance class, <laughs> you yeah. know, you're learning to dance. You guys are working this out together. And on the dance floor, when I ended up taking dance, what was really cool was that then I learned that they needed women to support the men in learning. And that was, that pressed my button. Cause anytime I can help somebody else to get past themselves and to improve and to gain self-esteem, it's, it's just like, this is where I'm home. And I love the idea of dancing with men and seeing their growth mm -hmm. as dance partners and as, and, and their whole persona would change. So so yeah, you, you do give up some of these things or think that for some reason you can't do them and it's kind of silly. So just to recap, so we're looking at the situation where you're in this relationship that's not great. You realize it's ending, divorce is final and correct me if I'm wrong, you've never lived alone. I never lived alone because when I divorced, when your father and I divorced, you were living with me and right. then you were living with me through M2. And then you went away to college. So um, I never really, 
there was a, well, even short period of time when I was young and I mean, really young, I lived in an apartment with girls. I didn't live alone. So Mm -hmm. never in a house alone. And that um, was really, really interesting. So there was two things, the hiking group. And also I, um, I went back to school and because I felt like I needed to have a fallback plan. And I realized that I couldn't teach art. My husband could teach computer science without a degree, but I can't teach art with a de- without a degree, which is really ludicrous. Mm-hmm. And so I decided I'd go back and get my degree. Not that I needed it to do the work that I was, it was just a fallback plan. And I think that, I think that taught me a lot of things too, because it taught me confidence and it taught me how to unpack things and to, to go deeper and, um, and I think that it, the confidence it also gave me was that degree helped me when I started to publish books because people were looking at you more um, as an academic mm-hmm. than just um, an author. And you start, you went back to school when I went to school to college. Yeah, my goal was to graduate before <laughs> you graduated college. Um, like I'll never forget. It was like my first semester in college and you had enrolled and I got, you sent me a postcard and it said, your mom goes to college, which was hilarious because it was also a quote from a movie that had just come out. Oh, really? And I knew you didn't know, but like, it was just like, I laughed so hard. I just like, I have this very vivid memory sitting in my dorm room at my desk, picking up the postcard out of my mail and just like falling out into laughter. But I think that it's, it's fascinating to me that you took that, that step to go to college and you were in your forties, which like, I hear so many women ask, like, is it too late for me? It's not too late for you to do anything. Like we need to just forget, I don't care what gender you are or where on the spectrum of gender you are. Like it is never too late for you to do it. It's not in the, and I think the other thing that I should point out is it was the type of college that I went to that was so stimulating because I didn't just like, oh, pack my bags up and say goodbye to my husband and say, I'm going down to the community college. I did that for like one semester and it was just not me, but I found a college where you actually go away to Vermont for a week and stay in a dorm and you meet all these creative people and you go to the the music um, building at the end of the night and you have jam sessions. And so it was kind of like having like, I don't know, a dorm experience at my Mm -hmm. age. And it also got me out of myself. I was traveling alone. Um, And I think the other thing that happened is I had a difficulty with a foundry here in Houston and I had to travel to another state to have my things done. So now I'm also traveling alone as business. And so each time I was gaining more and more confidence of traveling and being by myself. Did taking the steps of going to school and traveling alone and in those finding yourself a little bit, did that give you the self-confidence and the self-worth to be able to say this marriage is not working for me? Well, I think one of the things that you should know about me or the audience should know about me that you already know is that I am, um, I'm an uh, autodidact, is that the correct term? And a a bibliophile. So basically I love to read and I love to teach myself. And I have done that my whole entire life. And so, and I didn't know that everybody didn't do that. I thought everybody did. So if something comes up in my life or in my relationship, I'm going to research the heck out of it. I think all of that, because then you learn that you're not alone from a very early age at the, like the age of 13, I realized that if I shared my story with people, 
um, that somebody could gain healing from it. Or Which is what this podcast is about. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I mean, I learned that when I spoke at the age of 13 in an Alateen meeting through Alateen is a division of AA and a young girl came up to me and said, if you, I learned that if you could do it, I can do it. And it just clicked something in me and that, mm-hmm. it, and I always say, okay, God, you know, if I'm really in a difficult spot, just let one person, <laughs> I'll go through all this, but just let one person be able to figure it out after me, through me and through mm-hmm. the stuff that I have to go through. Not to get scriptural, but there's a scripture that says, seek and you shall find. And it sounds very simple, but there's also this thing that if you are really looking for answers, they're going to come to you. And I oh, think it's sure. the most bizarre thing because I will be searching for an answer and ap- accidentally click through my phone and hit on a video, not even intending to, which is the exact thing that I need to hear at that time. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was that when, when I was traveling to Santa Fe for my foundry, there was this woman there that I was staying with at her Airbnb and she was just, you know, she had a hiking group that she went with on a regular basis. She did skiing instruction. And I remember, forget, <laughs> forget the day that we went to the African restaurant and we were sitting there and this young man comes over and says, Marianne, you're, you know, oh, we need to have you come out with us again. And we miss you so much, Marianne. And he's like loving on Oliver and I'm going, and then he walks away and I went, and he was really cute. And I went, what's going on there? And she says, oh, it's the Latin dance community. They're all, they're all really, really affectionate. And we were really tight. And I said, I'm going home and taking up dancing. (laughs) And I did. And I took up the salsa dancing and the bachata. And it's true, the Latin community and the Latin dance community really had a strong bond. So meeting these women and these really strong women that were doing it, making it on their own and making the difference and they were influencing me and I think that made me stronger as well yeah um and plus you just get to a point where enough is enough I was learning to love myself that I wanted to love myself and have a love relation I know it sounds really weird I wanted to have a love relationship with myself and not I feel like I was defined by the love relationships I had around me, whether it was you as my child or my husband, I wanted to learn to love and cherish and nurture myself. And that was a really cool decision and a really cool journey that I'm still on. It's true. And I mean, any, any therapist, any, I mean, I've heard preachers talk about it is like, you can't give of your cup if your cup is empty. That what That's what that means is I can't, if I don't love myself, if I don't take care of myself, then I can't take care of other people to the extent that I, I, I should or want to. I'm going to end up doing more detriment to myself by trying to take care of them because I haven't taken care of myself. <laughs> Hugely important and just really beautiful. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's one of the most healthy things you can do. I do want to go back to Santa Fe and this hiking group idea, which was just the a catalyst for a very cool thing. And so basically Marianne said that she had a group of eight women and they would never hike in the same place in a year. So it's Santa Fe. I mean, it's New Mexico. You have a lot of really cool places. And I kept thinking, I live in the great big city. What could there be for me? And then I started to discover, and I remembered because M2 and I would go to um, the uh, Memorial Park and I remember doing mountain biking back there. So, um, and there's nothing, there's nothing, more intimidating than going into the woods alone for the first time when you're used to doing it with other people. And so that's what I would do. I would start to go into the woods alone. And the more I did it, 
the more confidence I had. And I did wish that there was like an app on my phone. There is probably now, but I didn't want to give my GPS location to just anybody or any app that I could just say, I'm going in. And if I don't come out at this time. So instead I call Christina and I'd say, well, Chris, I'm at Memorial Park and I'm going in and I should be out in a half an hour. I'll call you or 45 minutes or an hour. And then she would say, okay, mom, I know where to send them to find your body. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, sharing locations on phone. Now there's apps for all of this, right? Like we're talking, this is 2015, I want to well, say. I, well, I've been hiking for so many years prior to the group. And then I remember one day you said, mom, you should start a group. I was like, Hey, if you don't want to hike alone, why don't you just start a Facebook group and invite some people to hike with you? So you're not alone. Like there's safety in numbers, especially as women. And I mean, we don't, that's a, that's a dead horse. We don't need to be anymore. Getting over the fear and learning how to do it safely. Like being, mm -hmm. having accountability, know where I was going, knowing the trail, knowing that I was going alone and that you were going to, you know, I had a, a point that I, because I don't want women to feel like they, they can't do anything alone. Oh, for sure. Here's what happened. So truly, I went to the courthouse, sat, stood in front of the judge all by myself, dissolved this 19 years, came home, packed up my trailer and drove to Santa Fe and decided that I was going to camp all the way home by myself. And people said mm -hmm. I was crazy. Women said, you got to have a gun. You got to have, you don't have a dog. You don't have it. And here, here's the thing is that I stayed in state parks. One, I always made sure I knew the camp host too. Mm -hmm. So if you know the camp host and they know that you're alone, they're going to watch out for you. They would invite me to dinner. <laughs> and, and so I, and as Marianne once told me, I might hike or camp alone, but I'm never lonely. Campers are the most friendly people. They're amazing. Like <laughs> there is this community of humans who all love to go and be in the woods and they love to like talk to other people who love to be in the woods and they're legitimately the kindest people. And I've had so many people I've camped with going like, I don't understand, like, why are these people so not, and they'll like come up to our campground and I'm sitting there and I'm having this very deep conversation and somebody's like, oh, this must be your friend. No, we just met. Like yeah. we just walked across the street and said, hey, and you know, I'm a camper and you're a camper and, you know, and you could meet them in your pajamas, walking to the bathroom, carrying a bag right. of poop. <laughs> exactly. Like that's the best. Like there's just so much transparency among like camping people. It's, it's incredible. I remember my van kept the battery kept dying. Remember? Mm -hmm. And here I'm taking this trip in the middle of nowhere. And I'm in like Palo Duro Canyon all by myself. My battery's dying. And then I go to, um, a Brown, like Brownwood. And, um, I, I think I'm going to go bike riding in this trail and <laughs> the trail and the ranger said, it's an easy trail. I mean, this was not an easy mountain biking trail because not only was it very rocky, but you had cactus on each side of you. So if you fell, you were, and, and I, I had my, app on my phone and the difficulty is my phone died and when I got to the van the van was was dead and I will never forget I thought well I'm not going to worry about this because somebody's going to come by and I just took a breath <laughs> and there was a truck right next to me and I kept thinking I wonder who's in that truck I, I'm pictured this young man and and eventually this person who's out there bike riding is going to come and then they can jump my car and and this person comes out and they take her, their helmet off and they have long flowing gray hair. And they're shaking it. 
And it was so profound for me to know I'm not the only person aging out here that's doing it by themselves. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, and she jumped my car and we became best friends. So yeah. So the hiking group, it started out really slow. I felt committed to it. So I felt like I had to do two hikes a month or one hike a week or whatever. And a lot of times you show up and nobody else shows up Mm -hmm. and you think, why am I doing this? And then after leading a couple hikes, I had this one woman who said, I love this. I want to learn these trails and I want to lead hikes. And it just went bong. Mm -hmm. I don't have to do this alone. Knowing that I didn't, I didn't have to do it alone. And I think the other thing is that people were going, well, I don't want to hike with dogs. Well, I do want to hike with dogs. And then I thought, well, why don't we just everybody do what they need to do? If you want to hike with your dog, then make a hike and lead a hike with your dog. And -hmm. I think what that opened it up to, it was that we were meeting people wherever they were. We were meeting women. If you were a mom with a seven-year-old or you were a mom with a baby and a stroller and you needed camaraderie and you needed to be Mm -hmm. out, you were meeting other moms. And there's real power when you're meeting other women who are in the same stage of life that you are and you can bounce back things back up. I think that's where... Mm -hmm things really started opening up. And I don't know, we're 13,700 women. Right. And it's funny to me because you started Houston Women Hiking, which is a private Facebook group, women only, um, when like just before our house fire, I think. Is that what the yes. timeline was? We were trying was to- December 2016, I believe. Yeah. And our our house fire was February, 2017. And so- that 20 year of 2017 was just legitimately started out for me minute to minute. I just need to stay alive. Like then I could move hour to hour. I just need to stay alive. Like it was really just a survival year for me. And so meanwhile, you're having this great thing happening, which I just have like very little memory of, I mean, rightly so. Like, I remember you coming like, and you would still text me, I'm going in on a hike or whatever. And you would say, oh man, we have got like a hundred members now. And I'd be like, oh, that's cool. And then all of a sudden, like fast forward, I don't even know what year it was. Maybe we had just gotten back into our house. So like summer 2018 or fall 2018, you were like, it's like thousands of women. (laughs) And so like for me in my brain, like you started a group and then there's thousands of women. (laughs) Like, I have no recollection of the other stuff because my brain was doing all other kinds of things, like just trying to survive after a traumatic experience. But excuse me, let me interject here. Mm -hmm. 2017 wasn't just traumatic for you. Oh, no. That foundry that I had in Santa Fe went under and um, it was a huge, I mean, it's not like you can just go across the street and talk to these people. I had to travel back and forth and Mm -hmm. I had to retrieve this monumental project I was working on. Um, and we had a hurricane, yeah. a major hurricane that came. 2017 for our family was just trash. It like real, and, everybody's and, real and, mad about 2020 and the pandemic. And I was like, nah, I can do this. I can do this too. Cause we did <laughs> pandemic it up. I will sit in my house. Like let's not do another full on flood fire. Uh, my dad's house flooded shortly after our fire, not because of the hurricane. He had a pipe burst. Um, you had the stuff with the foundry. It was just like one thing. After. And then I ended up in the hospital. Yeah. And that in, in November of that year, I mean, it yeah. was just like 
dumpster fire of a year for us in the sense of like in the moment, five years down the road. Now we're going, oh my gosh, look at how much growth we have. And I'm going to go back to getting in the hospital because I was sitting there going, after the hurricane, I was trying to recover from getting the damage we had here and I couldn't breathe. And my interns would say, just sit down. And I have always had like problems mm-hmm. in certain times a year of coughing, but I got really sick and ended up in the emergency room. And the doctor said, I can't send you home. You may die. And so we spent like five, seven days there trying to figure you out. You called me. I don't know if you remember this because I think you're in shock, but you called me and you were like, hey, and you're real calm, which is funny because that's how I call people in an emergency situation. Like it freaks people out, like the level of calmness. But you called me and you were like, I went to the doctor. And I'm like, yeah, good. Like, I'm really glad you went. And you're like, she said I might die and that I should probably go to the emergency room. So I think I'm going to do that. And I was just like, what? (laughs) Well, I should say, she said, do not go home, go directly to the emergency room. And I think you were like, you were just like very casually, like, so I guess I'll do that. (laughs) And I I went home. I went home and I got, yeah. I went, wanted to get some food and things that I use. Right. And I was like, I'm coming right now. So it was just like, it was just the, the wildest year of just craziness. It, but in the middle of it, all of these really beautiful things were happening. Like Houston women hiking was growing. Cause I had apparently had pneumonia and then realized I had lung disease and the, um, the very poor pulmonologist that I spoke to in January of 2018 said, you have two years to live. I'm not going to fool you. If it's idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, you have two years to live. And I was going, could you spell that? (laughs) So again, I called Chris. I said, I think the doctor told me I have two years to live. You did. And I was just like, okay, cool. So fire, major debilitating hurricane for the city I love. Now my mom's going to die in two years. Like I just remember sitting (laughs) in therapy and I sat down in, in Marla's office and I was just like, are you ready for this one? Because <laughs> it was like every time we walked in, it was a new thing. Divorce. We started a group. Our house burns down. Hurricane Harvey. The thing with the foundry. Then you're sick. Because that was right after the foundry. Then Jane, and that was right before Thanksgiving. January, they're like, oh, you got two years to live. Yeah. And and then I, I'm sure that, I don't know if you're mentioning this or not, but the the guy walked off of your job. Right. And then, so that's January, you've got two years to live. And then in May, our contractor walked off the job and stole a hundred thousand dollars from us and our house wasn't done. But I, I should also point out that I remember when I was thinking about getting a divorce, I would say, but then if the hurricane comes, I have to prepare all by myself. I'm like, I'm going to be all responsible for all of the what if something really traumatic happens? And then like by the the following year, I'm going, okay, God, I got this. (laughs) Yeah. And like the trauma just like kept stacking on like a deli sandwich. Like it's just, yeah, yeah. Throw some of that on there. Yeah. Throw some of that on there too. And I did it. Yeah. I made it through. You did. We did. (laughs) And I didn't die in two years. Oh, we should point that out. Oh yeah. Yes. That, that diagnosis was in 2018, which for the record, like if you're a doctor and you're listening to this, you have no authority to tell someone when they're going to die or like, even put it in their head that they may or put it in their head. Like that is like totally, yeah. Just stop doing that. Like doctors just don't do that. 
And people told me that I shouldn't, you know, like, oh, you've got pneumonia. Don't, don't, don't do anything. Just stay still. And, and no, what I did was I got up, I had a treadmill and I got on the treadmill and I could only press it on and walk it with my oxygen. But that's what I did. And I did it every day. And I also had made this conscious decision about four months prior to this to change my lifestyle. So mm -hmm. I started eating most mostly plant-based. I started to exercise regularly, you know, like I, and that's why the, I was hiking so often. So I'm, and I'm convinced had I not done that four months prior to, I don't think I would have made it out of the hospital. Yeah. It was a scary time. So Christina said, mom, why didn't you tell me that your lips turned blue? I said, I live alone. How do I know that my lips turn blue when I cough? Right? I don't know. So, uh, so yeah, it was six months, I think that I was not on the trails, but then when I, someone gave me a portable oxygen concentrator, and if you don't know what that is, um, you're lucky, um, uh, because that means you never have to be deal with it, but it is, um, a concentrator that sits on your back and it, or on your side and it takes air in and it, and it puts it up your nose so that you have, and you can put it on different levels. I think for anybody who has lung disease, like, and I think for you, and I saw it for you, is it's just like, it gives you freedom because oh gosh, yes. you're not going, how much oxygen is left in this tank? Uh, do I have enough tanks? Like, I remember you feeling so, well, I mean, in my, my perspective is you seem to feel so tied down, like quite literally. I had a concentrator at my house, a big one mm -hmm. that I would use during the day. But if I left and mm -hmm. I had the tanks, I also thought about, um, it cost so many tanks for me to get through this day or to this trip, right. how much is that cost? Okay. How much is it going to cost me to breathe today? And if you don't have to think about how much it's going to cost you to breathe today, then just look up and go, thank you. All so, of us are just casually breathing for free. Yeah. <laughs> you could do it. I only use oxygen now when I hike. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, and, and sometimes when I, I'm not using it when I hike, and um, I, again, am, I work really, really hard at trying to be the best me that I can be. Um, and it's become a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. It's just what I do, you know, eating regularly, meditating, walking, exercising, doing yoga, um, making sure there's not a lot of stress in my life, um, all the things that it takes to be a healthy me. And then I think what happened with the Houston women hiking is that I realized that, and I've heard more than one woman say this, walking on the trails with other women is kind of like really inexpensive therapy. Oh, for sure. And because you're talking to the women, you're going through your stuff and science has proven that um, walking in the woods decreases your cortisol level and has all sorts of um, uh, chemical things that happen in your body by just being in the woods and you don't have to be in the woods long. And then also community increases our immune system. Mm -hmm. So unbeknownst to me, I was like doing two things that were increasing in my immune system, being with these women and in a community and being in the woods and, and then exercising three things, exercising on top of it. So it, it's been pretty fascinating and to see it grow, how, how it has grown is just, it boggles my mind. Because yeah. it does meet every woman right where they are. And the Houston women, all camping trips. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, always, I mean, they're I, sacred. What's 
interesting to me as I've walked, you know, I watched you create this group. I was in my own space trying to get through the fire and rebuild our house. And then you kind of brought me into the fold of the group. You kept telling me it's so amazing. And I was like, I'm sure it is. <laughs> like, I just can't, I had no capacity for anything other than like, heal your own trauma from the fire, build a house so you have a place to live. Like that was the scope of what I could do. Only further proving the point of how trauma is so similar is that like, you know, you're dealing with all of these health issues and all of these repeat tra traumas over and over again. And like, here's what I can do. You know, here's the capacity of what I have. I think that's just trauma in general. And I think we all need to give each ourselves a lot of grace when it comes to that kind of thing, when you're, when you're recovering from trauma, but you brought me into the fold of this whole thing. And I was just like, this is, this is amazing. It's just, and you know, I know because I, you know, you, you found a, a mom group when Issa was a baby and um, you were like, you know, you need to go to this. I don't need to bring to this. You, you need to bring to this. And, and it truly was, it was a bunch of moms with babies, the same age, all going through, I don't know what the hell we're doing. Like, I'm not sufficient at this. I'm exhausted. And just, it was the, the library group that I mentioned. Yeah, it was the library group. Yeah. And you know, those, there's a lot of those people that are my best friends today and nieces yeah. 10. So, you know, but I was seeing that on such a bigger scale through Houston women hiking, that same thing that was happening of community. It, but it was almost cooler because it was a happening in the woods and B the thing that blows my brain away every time is the diversity of women in this group Better. and that they all just get along. Like we'll sit around a fire and there's people of all ages and all walks of life and all kinds of socioeconomic status and religions. And I just, and we're all just sitting there and the most beautiful thing that I've ever seen happen in that moment is that we can all find one thing that connects us. And sometimes that's as simple as like hiking. Or a fire. Or, or enjoying all about the fire. poking a fire. Like it's just incredible to me every time. And, and just so the listeners know what's happening is so. Houston Women Hiking is 13,000, I don't know, 700 women all over the city of Houston from the very northern parts to all, all the way to Galveston hike and go out and create um, events on a regular basis so women can get out and and go hike. And that could be also kayaking or camping or like someone just posted the other day, which was so cool. I want to camp with you, but I don't want to camp with you. <laughs> she was just like, I want, like, I don't want to camp with you where I'm like with you all the time, but if we could just like socially interact a little bit. Yeah. Like maybe we'll go on a hike, but then we go separate ways. Yeah. And that's it. And I was like, I love this. So it's it's all kinds of outdoor events. Like I, the group's called East Women Hiking, but it truly is just anything outside. Like I think I, there's somebody did like a picnic. They were like, we're just going to go to a park and eat a picnic. Inner tube down the whatever river or whatever. Yeah. And we also do um, help the parks and clean up the trails and uh, that, that type of thing. So we have outreach Mm -hmm. and um, encourage other people and other women. Because I don't think, I mean, Memorial Park in Houston is bigger than Central Park and has more trails. Mm -hmm. And I think we have like 300 and something trails around the Houston area, which people don't even know about. I'm still discovering new things. Me too. 
um, the Lone Star Hiking Trail, which is, you know, in the northern part of Houston and goes through several different areas. And you it's a place where you can backpack in and and, and just hike it. So there's a lot there. And um, women are always amazing me. Like one woman goes and she just likes to dance. Now everybody wants to go on her hikes because they dance. Another woman goes and she likes to dress up in costume. And so people, love it. people go and then, and then I do a meditative hike where we're not going to talk at all. And we're just going to walk and touch the trees and smell the flowers. Or, you know, there are people who want to go. We have one woman that said, you know, during COVID, Flights are really cheap. We're all going to Colorado for Saturday to hike a mountain. If you want to go, we'll be coming back on Sunday. And and they did it. And I was in it, it, there's backpackers that go in and backpack and 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 then go to Kilimanjaro and get a group to go to Kilimanjaro. That's not me. But <laughs> but then there's people like me. We have recovery hikes. There's hikes for women who because we learned that people injured themselves or people wanted to join, but they weren't sure that they could really do it. And the thing about that is if you get them then and they start, they get stronger mm -hmm. and they start to hike further or longer and then they become hike leaders. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they heal on the trail in the same way I feel like you did. Yeah. Physically and emotionally. Yeah, absolutely. And it never ceases to amaze me when people make the choice to work through trauma, how like every person I talk to, there's something really incredible that just comes out of it. Like it, it always happens. If you choose not to sit in your trauma, there's always something beautiful on the other side, even though like the road there sucks. <laughs> like I'm sure that you were hiking and you were having a hard time breathing, especially in that early days. And there, like there's got a bit, was there a part of you that was just like, this is really hard. There still is. Yeah. There are, I, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about leading a hike tomorrow and going, but what about the people behind me? And I don't know if I can hike that hard or that far. And then people say to me, you hike really fast for a person. You, you hike really fast. <laughs> Even the meditative hikes, they go like, slow it down a little bit. Like I'm the person that hikes, but like, then I see an interesting mushroom and <laughs> I have to stop and like take pictures of the mushroom and turn it over and see if it has gills or pores. And so I can look it up later. Like that's my hike. There's two things I want to point out about what you said though. And truly, and but if you, there's, I also know that people who have trauma, people who have an illness like cancer or lung disease or whatever that comes up, if you ask them, they're going to say that they had a trauma right before they were diagnosed. Mm -hmm. And so when you, this whole thing is called a stronger than, and we had talked about stronger than myself, I think one of the things that you need to, to know is that you do have a subconscious and that subconscious is in you. And it's trying to keep you from being the best you that you could be. And it's, it's not being mean about it. It just knows that you've survived this way. And unless you can break that subconscious thought and even the words that you say and i and i hate to say that i said this i know that on more than one occasion i said this marriage is killing me oh yeah i remember you saying that and i would then well how could i say that think it know it and feel it and then not come out on the backside of that with 
out something happening. Mm -hmm. But at the, in the same light, I am believing and trusting and saying to myself, I, I can do this. Mm -hmm. I can, I can push past. Um, and I do everything even that, you know, I know we're running out of time, but even the singing classes that I took, which are just happened to be at your house and with your friend. And I had to listen to myself because when the teacher was saying, breathe one, two, three, four, out two, three, four, in two, three, four, I had to be honest with myself. I panicked. No, don't make me just breathe four because I need to get six and seven because I may never, ever have six and seven again. And all of that is going in, in my mind as I'm just trying to sing a note. And I had to be honest with myself that that was happening so that I could, I think that the singing classes are going to help me to, to be, I, I don't want to cry about it, to become friends with my breath again. Mm -hmm. I've tried to, you know, people would ask me when I would teach Tai Chi or Qigong and they would go and tell us about the breathing. I said, yes, <laughs> just breathe. Because if you told me to breathe here and to exhale here, I would immediately go, no, I can't. Mm -hmm. I can't even yawn. I'm having to learn to yawn again because I've tried to suppress yawns for so long because they're mm -hmm. so painful. So you learn to become, uh, I'm learning to learn, become friends with my breath. But I think the big thing here is when we say I'm stronger than myself, I'm stronger than my subconscious. I'm strong, stronger than those places that wanted to keep me stuck mm -hmm. and won't let me go forward. And you've got to acknowledge and be honest with yourself with what you, what is there and what is telling you what to do and what not to do. I think it's beautiful and horrifying. We need a word for that in English. I don't know if there is, but it's beautiful and horrifying at the same time that to think that you have to become friends with your breath again. But this thing with singing, because singing has been such a part of my life for all my life. Your friend Tata was there and she was, you got it, you got it now. And, and just to hear her say that was, or to say, oh, you, you could expand your diaphragm from your side. I was just like, yeah, I guess I'm, I, I'm, I've been doing something right. And mm -hmm. um, when you're learning with the singing to be able to get, become friends with my breath again, it's not just becoming friends with my breath. It's also an expression of yourself. Cause you're, oh, you know, you're I mean, singing. singing, like you're singing, you're expressing yourself. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's all new and I'm really excited about it. And I just did a video about it. So if you could highlight three things from the multiple traumas that we've talked about that you are thankful for and would not trade out. I have a lot of people that are like, well, do you, you know, I bet you wish the fire never happened. And I'm like, I wish my dog didn't die. I wish I had backed up all of my computers to the cloud. I wish I had had a fireproof safe with our document. But what I've gained from that experience is almost worth the trauma. If you were to ask anybody who has come to terms with death, I'm certain that they would say having someone tell you that you're going to die makes every day worth living. It, it also helps you to realize that um, like, what's really important. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, if I'm not going to live very long, do I really want to be the president of the civic club? <laughs> no, I don't really care. <laughs> happen to the neighborhood happened I'm sorry right. but it, it makes your priorities and I um and I and I'm thankful for that and I think the other thing 
is um, gratitude. I am so filled with gratitude. I mean, it goes with the same mm-hmm. thing, but I'm so filled with gratitude. And I try to do that every day. Like I walk outside of my garden and I go, thank you for that little flower. And thank you for the pond. And thank you for this. And thank you for that. So I'm really, really excited and, and thankful for all the things in my life. And Mom, thank you so much for being on this with me and going out on this very scary journey of creating a podcast. It's a podcast of stories that need to be told. So I thank you for your vulnerability and for sharing your story with everybody today. Where can people find you? Oh, honey, I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited for this journey that you're taking. You can find me at um, creativesculpture.com, sculptureure.com. And um I'm everywhere. You just Google my name. You're going to find me. I've got pages and pages, but yeah. She's on Twitter. She's on Instagram. She's on Facebook. Um, <laughs> if you are a woman and are inter- and in the Houston area, and we're talking Houston area greater, like all the way up to Willis, we've got people that travel to Houston, but they live in San Antonio. If you're interested in our hiking group, you can find HoustonWomenHiking.com. Thank you so much for being here and listening to my words and sharing in these stories. I hope you'll join me in coming episodes as we hear the stories of real people and how they became stronger than. If you're excited about this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating or review or sharing a link to it on your social media? These things help podcasters and creators so much. Stronger Than is real stories from real people. Edited and hosted by me. Chris Sizemore. Original music by Rob McCatherine. If you want to learn more about us and our story, you can find us on our blog, strongerthanfire.com, or on Instagram at strongerthanfire.